fans and welcome to the leading edge where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate joining us on this episode is an individual that's been to 13 baseball canada national championships is the current provincial supervisor and president of the new brunswick baseball umpires association chair of the 2018 baseball canada cup planning committee and in his spare time is a gear guru and owner operator of atlanticofficials.ca that individual of course is mike Doucette. topics covered are umpiring coast to coast the work that goes into planning a Baseball Canada National Championship, and we find out who is the Kijiji King. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming! Hello, baseball and umpire fans, and welcome to The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Well, it's rather impressive. We are on two episodes in less than a month. I promised you a couple weeks back that I would try to increase the frequency. I hope I'm delivering. Now we're on a roll, but I know it takes three to make a streak. So stick with us. You're going to get some good content coming up. Now, before we get to this episode, we need to get all the formalities out of the way. First things first, I know you're listening to this show, but in case you wanted to know, the various spots that you can find this podcast are Podbean. Spotify, TuneIn, Facebook, YouTube, Google Podcast, and my personal favorite, hey, Alexa, can you play Leading Edge Umpire Stories? Boom, it comes up, I can hear my voice. It's amazing what technology can do. But when you find that podcast like you're doing now, you can do me a favor, share it, like it, make some comments, get the word out because there are some fantastic umpires in Canada and we enjoy sharing their stories. Now, since we're talking about liking and sharing, you can also catch us on social media. Check us out over there on the Facebook. Search Leading Edge Umpire Stories. You're going to find the little blue icon in the mask. If you could like us and share us, boom, guess what? Your job's done. And for those of you that have done it, thank you. I appreciate all the support that we get. Now, traditionally, this time of the show, I would do a recap of the last episode. But I might have made a little mistake over the past couple weeks and I have deleted the files. Silly me. So instead of sharing with you some of the audio, I'm going to have to give you a quick verbal. Our last guest out of Sherwood Park, Alberta, Tyler Bourne. Tyler started umpiring at around the age of 12 or 13 and interestingly enough, got into it with his father. At the grand old age of 21, Tyler decided to make the trek to Florida where he partook in the Wendelstadt School of Professional Umpiring. After the program, Tyler returned to Canada where he's been part of the Baseball Canada National Umpire Program. Tyler has had the privilege and honor of attending four Baseball Canada National Championships, 13U, 15U, 18U, and most recently a 21U. Interestingly enough, since his attendance at the 21U, Baseball Canada has reclassified that event and it is now a 22U. Off the field, Tyler has attended a Baseball Canada caravan and is a certified Baseball Canada National Umpire Instructor. And though he didn't share it on the show, if Tyler sounds busy on the field, his life is just going to get a little bit hectic off the field. Recently, Tyler and his wife Peyton have announced that they are expecting the birth of their first child. Now, how exciting is that? And since we're talking glorious times, Tyler, Peyton, if it's a boy, I won't be offended if you want to call it Philip. And if it's a girl, hey, Phyllis is available. But all jokes aside, 
first, Tyler, thank you for coming on and sharing with us your stories. And secondly, and most important, Tyler and Peyton, congratulations on the announcement and here's to a happy, healthy baby. Now, without further ado, let's get to why you're really here. Leading Edge Entertainment is proud to introduce this episode's guest, an individual that has attended 13 Baseball Canada National Championships, is currently the President and Provincial Supervisor of the New Brunswick Baseball Umpires Association, has been involved in various aspects of his local minor baseball association, is what you could call a gear guru and small business owner specializing in the sale of officials' equipment, and though he will never admit it, once started a petition to bring back Melrose Place. That individual, of course, is Mike Doucette. Mike, welcome to The Leading Edge. Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me. Mike, the pleasure is all mine. It's always nice to bring on guests from right across this country and a former provincial supervisor of mine. I was already here about that. I look forward to it. <laughs> I think we're going to have a great time, so let's get going. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. Okay, talking about fun, one of the first things we like to do is give the guests to defend themselves as a player. Mike, did you play baseball? I did, Phil. I uh, started playing back when I was uh, nine years old, I believe, or ten, whatever. Um, that uh, used to be called Mosquito back in the day. Played a little bit of house league baseball. Actually, not a little bit. I played right till I was 18, but always house league, but had a lot of fun doing it. Now, you say house league baseball. I do think that baseball has changed over the years. I think baseball is way more advanced with these travel teams. I say, what would have been house league baseball at that time? So at that time, um, there was mostly only, in New Brunswick anyway, it was Randler. There was usually a triple A team. And then after that, everything was house league. And then a lot of times, if they were going to have a double A tournament or a double A team, it was picked out of your house leagues. Okay. So then the top players from each team in the area would go on a double A team and play in their respective provincial championships or whichever. Well, that makes sense. I think the important thing is getting people out to enjoy this game and participate in this game because we're going to talk about umpiring, but if you don't really participate in the game, you can never really enjoy it. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, when I was growing up, we had a, with that double-A procedure, House League was pretty competitive as it was because you always had four or five, I would say, more elite players on every team. And then you played the same teams kind of over and over. Did you develop any rivalries? Yeah, you always, uh, you know, the older we got, the less teams there were. So there was always four, five, six teams. I think when I got the Bantam, um, there was actually two divisions of four. So you developed rivalries in amongst your little inner city teams. Right. Yeah. Okay, what position did you play? When I started my career, I was kind of a third baseman. And then I started to catch. And then getting on the end of my career, I was a uh, first baseman only kind of guy. Fair enough. Hot hands, hot corner. Yeah. Seems like every umpire I talked to has had a little experience catching, and I asked them the same question. Were you good at calling balls and strikes as a catcher? Absolutely. Had to be. <laughs> had to be. That means you had to hit that low outside corner. Were you able to hammer that for the umpires and help them out every time? Oh, oh, oh yeah. I could hammer it all every day, all day. Now, you talk provincial championships. Do you have any league titles or provincial titles? Um, I remember, I think it was my, I can't remember my, I think it was my last year I played. We actually won the, uh, city league title for the 18 year midget league. Got to put a trophy on the mantle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We wouldn't be here talking about it today if you didn't win it. Right. So that's right. Absolutely. Positive I could probably still find the trophy. If I looked around here hard enough oh, in a wait. box somewhere. <laughs> so you're one of those guys. You got everyone you've ever won. Do you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're like <laughs> me, everyone that I've ever won, it comes in a small shoe box. So it's pretty easy Absolutely. to find. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Don't want to brag about myself, but I have way more runner-up trophies than I do have championship <laughs> trophies. Yeah, participation awards. Well, since we're talking umpiring, when and how did you get into umpiring? My first year of ball, actually, my uh, one of my ball coaches was a former senior player himself and uh, an umpire. During the, one of our league games, he was looking for someone to come work bases with him on the weekend at a double hitter at the park, like for, I think it was a probably a peewee triple A game or something and needed a base guy. So he asked the players in the team and I put my hand up. Well, that was um, a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know, something like uh, 30 years later, I'm still doing it. So do you regret putting your hand up or uh, not at all? Not at all. It's been a lot of fun over the years. Well, fun's what it's all about. Now, Mike, you're from New Brunswick and you talked about 30 years into it. Do you have any really good New Brunswick championship stories of any caliber? Uh, on the umpiring side, yeah. I go back to when I first started getting involved with the national program. Andrew Higgins was kind of, and Dave Casper kind of running our association. And we started doing weekend junior elimination tournaments where the winner of the tournament would go to the nationals the following year. Right. And uh, so we started doing it kind of running like a national. And we it was in Fredericton like three years in a row. And I got picked to go to all three of them in a row and work at them. And that's where the love of the game and the love of the camaraderie, working with other guys from around the province and stuff really started for me. A lot of fun at those tournaments. You got to share with me what years were those? Oh my God, Phil. I can't, were you playing then? Uh, I'm going to be nice and say it was probably before my playing days in junior. I'm going to name drop here. Your very first, your very first guest and your best friend, Jeremy likes to remind me that I was umpiring at one of the, one of those tournaments that he was playing at. So you guys are the same age yep. when he was 18, probably whatever year that would have been yeah. Phil. Oh, that, that'd be, that'd be Oh three, Oh four, Oh five. Yeah. Big years. So we're getting go now. Yeah. We're getting, we're, yeah. I'm a, okay. I'm aging myself. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're getting old. Um, there was a call that I made a fair foul call on the line that, I still probably today can't tell you that if it was actually fair or foul about what I called it. Do we need to repaint the lines? Fine. The Chatham boys weren't happy with me. We'll just say that. Okay, first, what did you call? I called fair. Chatham boys are never going to be happy if it was another team hitting the ball. I promise you that. <laughs> promise you that, yes. <laughs> but we talked yeah. Chatham. This is New Brunswick. New Brunswick, as small as a province as it is, is very heavy focused in baseball. There is a strong baseball community there. We talked Chatham, we've talked with Dave Cass before about the the intensity and rivalries around that province. Share your perspective on oh the my. Um, just being involved with even not even at the senior level, but all levels of ball when you're working a tournament and you're you know, if it's a meaningful game and you've got a Chatham Chatham Moncton or a Chatham Fredericton or St. John, you throw St. John into the mix. There's really I wouldn't want to say hatred, but they really, the rivalry is strong. Like, you know, it's, yep. you never know what you're going to run into and what kind of ball game you're going to have, whether it's going to be a, a game management from pitch one to out number three in the seventh, or, you know, a smooth game where it's just going to be baseball, but the rivalry is pretty strong in our, in our province. And then when you get down in the minor league system or the minor outside of senior, I tell you one team that I was always having difficulty with was that Riverview organization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Riverview A's they've, they've had some experiences over the years and uh, you know, well, all these years later, it's really good to hear that I'm not the only one that might've struggled, but I threw Riverview under the bus, going to bring them back up here. I can tell you one thing that Riverview does well is the 11 U baseball tournament. 
I remember playing in that as a kid, and I think it's still going top-notch, fantastic tournament for 11U baseball. That's the Bob Donahoe Classic. That's the longest-running and the biggest Mosquito 11U tournament in Atlantic Canada for sure. They run it all over. Uh, Mike Mike ran it for years. Bob's son. Mike's just recently retired from baseball. And you know, just an awesome, awesome tournament that they run every year. I've umpired many, many back in my younger days. I, I would get dropped off there on Friday morning and picked up Sunday afternoon. You know, it's a great run tournament over there. They still have it every year. Man, it's great to hear they still have it because I can tell you that that is one of the highlights of my childhood memories is participating in that tournament in Murview. It was a lot of fun. They had a skills competition, home run derby. They have a little parade. Yes, you run through town. Yeah. It's a big deal over there, yeah, and they, and they do a bang-up job. They still do. Now, we'll keep it in New Brunswick. You are the president, is that right, of the New Brunswick Baseball Umpires Association or is it provincial yeah. supervisor? How do you guys uh, define it? It's the president slash supervisor of the New Brunswick Baseball Umpire Association. Yeah. How long have you been doing this? Oh, my God. Since 2000. Cass, if you're listening, you'll have to kick me in the butt because I took over from you. But I think it was since 2011. Got to be running on 10 or 12 years now. Yeah. Must be one of the longest standing provincial supervisors right now. Uh, Yeah. And Cass was before. I'm not sure if I've got one year less right now in Cass or one year more. (laughs) We're both both candy. I think Cass said he did 10 or 11 years. So I'm right at that point as well. Yeah. Yeah. I have to ask, why would you take on an assignment like that? I was the VP for a while before. The passion. Uh, Very passionate about it. Uh, I like to be involved. Um, I like to see us try and progress. Uh, We've tried to implement some stuff with our board and our executive. I really enjoy it, and I really enjoy the ask that part aspect of the game. I like to see us try and develop officials in the province, and you know, bring guys along. And over the years, I've got to meet lots of people across country because I'm the principal supervisor as well. So, looking back on those ten years, would you say that you've achieved some of the goals that you originally set out to do? Uh, we've achieved some, and you take some steps in the right direction. Like you know, we developing um, this year it's going to be one huge step it's the first time that baseball in the brunswick is going to host the provincials in one location all of them all of them they're oh. going to run it over three weekends so every division over three weekends so good luck um that's gonna it's, it's a, yeah it's a big undertaking we're going to have umpires traveling for provincials for the first time that's a big task and i'm looking forward to it unfortunately for a lot of our guys you know they'll be traveling at the same time for nationals so okay you know that, that's going to be uh you know some quirks to work out but uh, definitely looking forward to it and this is something they're looking to move or at least around the four major centers of the, of the province going forward. So, you know, it, it's something to give the umpires, in my mind, to look forward to it the first of the year or a carrot. We run clinics saying, well, this is happening this year. So this is something you want to work towards. Earn your spot, essentially. It, absolutely, yeah. Now, will you be using your zone directors to make recommendations or were you going to try to get out in the car and see everybody or... Oh, no, we'll be using our zone guys for sure. I mean, it's just almost impossible to get out and see everybody in the run of a summer. But, you know, we're going to try and at least when there's some in, invitational tournaments and stuff, we'll get out and see if we can get out and see some of those guys. And, you know, at least because you don't want to not say nothing to them all summer long and then say, well, right. you didn't do nothing to make it to the provincials at the end of the year. So, right. That's now it does seem kind of daunting at the start of the year. When you look at it, you got provincials and. It's a big tournament coming up, but if you use your contacts appropriately, you can break it down and it gets better and easier. Yeah, and in my mind, that's that's what, you know, uh, you know, with our executive talking about here in the last couple of weeks when we've had calls, 
you know, yeah, everyone thinks it's a huge task, but I think if we use, like you said, if we use our resources that we have here in the province, and even if we have to reach out maybe to our neighboring province to get a couple of guys at some point, those are things we'll, we'll look at as we get closer and closer, but uh, yeah, definitely interesting. Now, I might have jumped the gun because I mentioned, are you going to use some zone directors, but maybe I'm going to ask you, how does the umpire program structure work in New Brunswick? So, yeah, so you're, you're correct. We have uh, eight zones throughout the province and we have one of our zones is actually broken into so the north part of the zone the bathers area okay. bathers and caraket is broken into two parts so in actual fact we have nine zones with that seven zone seven broken down into two zones so there's seven directors we have some unfortunately that are vacant right now that we're always trying to recruit guys so yeah so those guys break down and kind of take care of their each own individual zone so zone directors, are they responsible for organizing clinics? Yeah, we try and leave that up to them to organize our clinics and, uh, you know, recruit as much as they can. And also tap in with their local associations to recruit as well, because um, that's that's where we get to recruit from as the local ball players and get them to come and be the umpires at some point. I completely agree with you, Mike, and I'm really glad that you mentioned working with minor ball organizations. Because personally, I feel like there's always a lot of pressure on umpires to recruit when in reality, it needs to be more of a global recruitment effort. And umpires can't do it without the help of associations. Absolutely not. I mean, if you don't have the associations pumping out the emails or to their local coaches and volunteers, you know, this is what we need, pushing it through their local contacts and schools and all that stuff, um, you know, we're going to fall. Or you're going to have the same in New Brunswick, 200 umpires or the same top tier you're never going to build your program up at all and how many umpires would you have in new brunswick We're, we run usually anywhere between 180 to 195 200 at the most i think is 200 would be a big number in new brunswick that's a good membership yeah when you talk about goals and successes it's been about 10 years since i was in new brunswick and i can look at the national list of umpires now and you have four or five umpires that are in the program that are there now that are not weren't not there when i was there so obviously new brunswick's getting people to the next level you know, we've had a couple move in, thankfully, and then, you know, uh, we definitely had a couple that we've pushed into the program that are, you know, doing well and coming along. And that's the thing about the national program. It's set up so that we can support our umpires and get our umpires to that next level. And in doing so, we support each other. Yeah, correct. I mean, if, if you don't push that program, you're not going to, you know, you're going to be looked at, you know, there's only three or four. Well, those guys do everything. Those guys get all the benefit or you know, at least if, you know, like we're up to 12 now, at least they see and they're throughout the province. That's it. And by having your national level umpire spread out throughout the province, it can only help grow your community baseball. Correct. Yeah. I'm a big yeah. believer that you have to use local people and grow your own. That's how you're going to build programs. It's, it's not fun. I mean, remember when I first started, you know, you thought, okay, would I ever achieve this goal? And Eventually, after enough championships or enough time put in, yeah, you achieve your goal. You know, it's uh, there's always, and then you always make your next goal, and that's part of the fun. And I'll say it right here: one of the guys that I looked up to as a young umpire was locally was Miles Brito. I <laughs> saw that he was getting assignments, and I wanted to do what he was doing. So, if he wasn't involved, I don't think I would have really ever gotten involved. And it goes back to: if you don't have people doing it in your community, chances are slim that other people are going to get involved either. That's right. You know, you know, Miles has done great for himself over the years. You know, he goes out, he always represents New Brunswick well whenever he goes to a championship. He never disappoints us. He has a lot of fun. 
okay. enjoys himself, yeah. but uh, you know that's that's part of the part of the enjoyment for sure. Okay, Mike. Since we're talking national championships, let's talk about your national championships. How many events have you been part of? Uh, I guess twelve or thirteen. Wow, you've got to visit a few communities, have you? I've been fortunate enough to uh, to to do some traveling to uh, get out and. Be umpiring a few different provinces. Uh, I have done the majority of them in Quebec, uh, just the way, way the years fall, but I've seen some nice ball fields in Quebec as well. So it's been great. Talked about it in the last episode, though. There's certain communities that really work to put on a championship every so many years, and that's just the reality of it. And there's lots of communities in Quebec that just rotate to make sure that they have a championship. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Sherbrooke, I can think. Sherbrooke, Gatineau, you know, Quebec City for a couple Quebec years. City. Didn't they run yeah. every championship? Uh, Quebec City in my first midget championship in 2007 was a single site in Quebec City. Overwhelmed so with that, baseball. Overwhelmed with baseball. They forgot about accommodations though when they ran that tournament. So uh, yeah, it was tent city. It was yeah, almost the tent city. We lived in dorms, but I could reach out and touch my roommate. We could we could high five each other while laying in our beds. So oh, that's a, that's a treat. But, uh, all in all, it was a good time. Now, you've been to multiple championships. Are there any championships that really stand out for you? Yeah, so my I think probably my favorite, Canada Games in 2013 was a big one. I, I like to tell people, if you ever have the chance, don't turn it down, whether you're going as a participant, official, lots of highlights from that championship. And then, of course, uh, I've been fortunate enough to work three senior championships, one in each coast, and, uh, one right at home, up, up the, two, an hour and a half up the road. So I've been fortunate. Well, let's talk Canada Games then. Where, okay, sure. Where was your Canada Games? Uh, Sherbrooke, Quebec, actually. Um, in Sherbrooke, they used three fields. There was one in Sherbrooke, one in Quattacook, and the third field just eludes me right now. But it was they were all really nice ball fields. Now, we recently had Rob Allen, who was part of that event. Now, can you just refresh us? Was Bucky at that championship, Dave Buckingham? Bucky, yes. Bucky made the return visit. Did you get the chance yeah. to work with Bucky that weekend? We actually had an all-Atlantic crew work the bronze medal game. Oh, fantastic. So I got to work first base, and Bucky worked second base. And then, of course, the others on the crew were uh, Kent Walker on the plate, Don Esty on third base. So two oh, New Brunswick guys got yeah. to work together as well. So yeah, Not something you can say too often from New Brunswick, is it? No, not, not often at all. That would happen. No. Um, luckily enough, we were to, got two spots at that tournament, so it was it was nice to go with Don and... It was a good time. But even on a good year, you'd say, yeah, you said you had 12 umpires at the national level, like barely had 12 tournaments. That's right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The, the joys of Canada Games and uh, a little extra, because usually at Canada Games where there was 10 provinces, so two extra spots, the rule of thumb used to be where the neighboring provinces would get the extra spot, and that year where it was in Quebec, we got we got an extra spot, which was cool. For travel yeah. and cost. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so yeah, that was the Buckingham return. We could tell stories about Dave all night. Oh, I'm sure we could, and other people have. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you mentioned Rob Allen. Rob Rob was there, and um, I know you've talked about it because I listened to the podcast where Bucky got hurt for the second time at this Canada <laughs> Games. And Rob was actually the sub in umpire. And Rob and I were sitting across the table from each other when he got the phone call. Rob was sitting down with a 32 ounce, and I had one as well. And his phone rang. Rob said to the supervisor who was calling, he's like, You're not serious. Yeah, yeah, I need you to call the driver to pick you up. So as I heard that, I just said to Rob, I said, Thanks for the beer. And I reached over and grabbed his beer. And <laughs> now I had 64 ounces. McGog was the third field. Rob took off and had the drive actually from Sherbrooke. That's, this game was being held in Quattacook, which was. You know, like 35-minute drive 
that yep. Rob had to go to the go to where we were staying, grab his gear, and head for uh, Quadacook to uh, sub in, uh, finish this game for Bucky. <laughs> That's fine. They finished the game. So after the game, John Oak was one of our supervisors, and he decides because this is Bucky's second championship where he got hurt at a Canada game, sorry, not second time, second time he got hurt out of Canada games, that John feels he should be having a heart-to-heart with all the guys and saying, listen, we all know Bucky loves to joke and go on and have fun, but let's not joke about this. This is his second time he's at a Canada game and the second time he's gone down. We decide that we're all going to pick up food and we're going to go back to the residence and John's going to have this conversation. So as John's just getting his heart-to-heart with, because Bucky's still at the hospital, John's getting ready to have his heart-to-heart with all the 11 other umpires. Uh, I just happened to look, and we're in a school dorm, basically. You know, the the little three-inch or four-inch windows on school doors? Yes. Well, I look out of the corner of my eye, and I see here's a guy with his nose pressed up against the glass and with a big, huge smile on his face. <laughs> and I said, well, boys, here's Bucky. And I opened the door, and he all the thing he said was, how's she going, boys? <laughs> with a bottle of beer in his hand. So the whole serious talk about... Let's not get on Bucky about getting hurt the second time. Was out the window. Yeah. Sounds like Bucky's that type of guy that just keeps it casual. Very casual. There's nothing stressful about Bucky. Yeah, he, uh, he really, really enjoys it. Oh, he really enjoys it. And you know, he's the type of guy that just says, "Work hard, enjoy it." That's why we're here. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, just the other night, I got a text message from Bucky asking me if I was ready for baseball season this year. So. Always great to hear from the guy. He lives for it. He does. He absolutely does. Yeah. Don't we so, all though? But, but yeah, he does. absolutely, absolutely, we do. Now you mentioned that you've got the opportunity to work coast to coast. I laughed because I was doing some investigative research on your national assignment history on the Baseball Canada website, and I start looking: New Brunswick, PEI, Quebec. I'm like, does this guy scared to fly or something here? <laughs> and then texted my good buddies ryan garland jeremy nash i'm like is this does he have a phobia of flying that i should ask or anything like that or not talk about it and he's (laughs) like well he would have had to fly to st john's i'm like i don't know you could drive if you really wanted to (laughs) i just need to ask there's no fear of flying is there absolutely not no fear of flying no fear of flying (laughs) okay (laughs) so you've been to a few senior championships where were they uh so first one was in st john's newfoundland second one victoria british columbia and third one, Miramichi, New Brunswick. Wow, what a vast variety of scenery. I can only imagine that all three were fantastic experiences. Three awesome experiences. Got to, uh, in Newfoundland was the first time I got to meet the late Mitch Ball uh, and got to work with him. Okay, were you on um, a crew with him? Just there together. That weekend was in typical Newfoundland fashion. We landed, the sun was shining. We went to the opening ceremonies. The rain started falling <laughs> and it rained till the day after the championship ended on oh, Monday. Wow. It was just foggy and rain and wet the whole week. Um, but a lot of fun. Um, Nash probably still has it on his iPad somewhere where he was watching the game, and I was making my first pivot in game number one, and I ended up on my arse. Did you bring backup pants? <laughs> uh, probably had a pair of backup pants. Now, yeah. you being the yeah. gear guru, I sure hope you had the backup pants. Yeah, I usually, if you talk to my wife, I usually travel with three pairs of each. Yeah, so I was on my butt in the first game, and then from there, we worked out, worked worked away, and uh, was a really really good experience. Had a lot of fun. Elmore was there with us, Elmo. and uh, Rob Allen was actually at that event as well. We had, had a really good time again. Uh, the highlight of that tour was probably the uh, get together on the Monday night 
we spent the evening at the, the great Dave Buckingham's place. Dave hosted us for dinner and we all barbecued and Dave Phillips actually from Ontario did the barbecue for everybody. And, you know, we had a great, great weekend. Now when Bucky hosts, what does that entail? That entails lots of liquid adult beverages, uh, lots of laughs, lots of uh, going ons. I never got to experience it, um, but apparently he, because he had it packed away, but he has quite a hockey and baseball collection downstairs in his house, but he had it packed away because they were doing some renovations. uh, I'm hoping to get back there this year, maybe, and I'll see it, but he took care of us. His wife, Marianne, was very open and met us all and, you know, had a lot lot of fun with them, and it was a very great experience. Now, I'm sure you had to pack it away because I can only assume that Bucky is a huge Leafs fan, and with Elmer there, Elmer (laughs) would have wanted to see that and maybe scarf some of the collection. So he had no choice but to pack it away. <laughs> yes. Though being from Newfoundland, I have a funny feeling that he's not a Leafs fan, but we're not going to say the other team. No, and he's not. He's not I'm Not sure if you know, but he's not even the other team's fan either. Really? So he's yeah. a Seattle Kraken fan. I didn't, yeah, didn't Absolutely. He's Seattle Kraken, yeah. Lifelong fan here. Like, Lifelong, yeah. They're still um, undefeated for a Stanley Cup. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Haven't lost in the finals yet. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're... Yeah. So from there... Uh, you know, went to a few championships in between, but then I got the opportunity to uh, fly west to uh, Victoria, BC. Uh, very much enjoyed it out there. The fields were n- not the best fields I've played, uh, I've umpired on. The main field is actually a football field. Really? First, I would say, yeah. And, you know, just because the, the stadiums kind of run like for a football, but the one corner they do have a baseball backstop and grandstand and stuff behind it. Old exhibition stadium. Yeah, absolutely. Same idea. Same idea. Cool thing was now, I'm sure you talked to some other guys that were out there, but we stayed at a motel called Paul's Motor Inn. The the cool thing about it was it was walking distance to downtown Victoria and walking distance to the main ballpark. Oh, that's nice. Uh, other than that, I laughed because I took a picture of the TV and sent it home. The size of the TV monitor in our room was uh, the size of a computer screen on oh, my laptop that I'm talking to you on right now. <laughs> it was it was pretty funny. But, uh, the shower too, like I'm not a tall guy. I'm only five nine, and the shower head was hitting me in the chest instead of on top of my head. <laughs> but it worked. Yeah, yeah, it worked. Yeah, I'm still alive. Yeah, exactly. Never got murdered or anything. And could be worse. Could be Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, but we're not gonna. <laughs> yeah. And we talked, you asked me if I worked with Mitch in St. John's, but I, Mitch was my crew chief in Victoria. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the best experiences of my life working with Mitch. Yeah. It was just all around. Awesome. Guy. Yeah. Awesome. Up there, you know, we had, had another great tournament, a lot of fun. Um, got the opportunity to work, work the semifinal third and first base in the bronze medal game that weekend. Nice. So, something like that. I think is how it goes. I can't remember exactly, but a lot, a lot of fun. Again, the guys out there were awesome. A little side note, Mr. Allen, I know you'll probably listen, but you might beat me up for saying this or not make my trophy case that you're going to make me. The cops had a little stop in with Mr. Allen after our downtown festivities on Sunday night. Rod, Rod, Rod needed to use the bathroom and let's just say the cops stopped him. Old Twisted Green himself getting himself into a little twisted trouble. Yes, absolutely. We won't go there, but we know where there is. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was 2018. Yes. And then I got to the opportunity to do back-to-back nationals and got the chance to drive an hour and a half up the road and go to your hometown, Phil, and work in Miramichi and that was a that was a kind of a fill in last minute uh, I'm not sure who who gave me the opportunity but uh, I got a call 
little later than normal and see if I was I could send another guy to Miramichi and I took the spot myself. I didn't think and, I don't uh, think you took the spot. I think that's just really what was left. That's sometimes when you opportunities right. fall in your place, right? Yeah, exactly. So of course I didn't just up and take it, but I talked with the executives and they said, Mike, you should go. So it was a chance chance to work in your home province, chance to work at uh, probably the nicest ballpark playing surface a nice atmosphere i'll call it atmosphere for sure yeah. atmosphere um ballpark in the province and probably you know this side of montreal type of little thing in ironman field and just the chance to chance to be there in the crowd i got to got assigned to work i was working third base in the chatham first game of the tournament against bc there had to be three thousand people there probably for for a thursday night game Nothing, nothing, nothing like Chatham would do, but it was awesome. Now I'm going to go back and after Rob Allen has scarred your brain there. <laughs> now we've talked about it before and we'll talk about it again quickly. The atmosphere that happens at Ironman Park during a national championship, a playoff run, it can't be beat. For the top amateur baseball in Canada, that is a park that you want to play at in a high intensity game. Now, Mike, you said that it's, field second to none east of Montreal. I'd put it at the top field in the country. Now, Rogers Skydome doesn't count, of course, but I don't know if you're going to find that atmosphere in any other amateur park in this country. You're right. Now, I'm out here in Western Canada now, and I work college wood bat baseball, and that's great baseball, not knocking it at all. Big stadiums, it's fun. But when you know the players, when you work with the players, when you live beside the players, they're your neighbor, it's something completely different. Absolutely. And buzz. Absolutely. I remember your principal supervisor, Scott, was working the plate in that game that I got to work that night, and he just couldn't believe the atmosphere. We come out of there, and I can't remember what inning it was, but Chatham center fielder throws a, a dart to home plate to get a guy trying to tag. Mm-hmm. And just as the ball's going over my head and I'm in the middle, and you can just feel the fans just going crazy because they know he's going to beat by three steps, right? And the park just blows up, and you, everyone's just got chills because the yep. noise and – yeah, it's, it's amazing. I'm going to throw a plug out there because I know who that center fielder was. It was Ori Cook. It was Ori, yeah, and I it can was. throw that name out there because Ori is born in 87 like myself, so I've played against him. I can tell you that guy probably has the most outfield assists of any amateur baseball player that you're going to meet in Canada. And range on him, not just arm-wise, but geographical coverage that he can cover foul pole to foul pole himself. Oh, absolutely. He's 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 one of the great outfielders for sure at Brooks and Yearly. And he just you know, he's he's really good. Country, he's really yeah. good. Yeah. You know, I played midget and junior against Chatham and I tell you, you know, there, there, you you say pitching wins championships or hitting wins championships. I mean the guy could hit. The guy could get to first base in two point two seconds too. Like it, yeah. just if, his defense, there's no question, has helped various Miramichi teams win provincial Atlantic and national championships. Absolutely. No question. I've seen, I've been umpiring Ori a long time. I guess he's 10. He was born in 87. He's 10 years younger than I am. So, you know, I've watched him and all that stuff through the years. And he's, he's something else to watch. He really is. He really, really is. Mike, I'm going to take this opportunity to throw a shout out to two Miramichiers, Patty Quinn and Jerry Green. They have a podcast called The Run. You can probably find it on anywhere you get your podcasts. Now, they like to cover Miramichi stories, specifically sports, and they did cover the 2019 Baseball Canada National Championships in Chatham. There's a couple funny stories, even a couple that involve the umpires. But I want to throw the shout out, and I want to say, Patty, if you're listening, 
I challenge you to do a whole episode on Ori Cook or with Ori Cook. I say that because I think he's such a generational player that without Ori Cook, the Chatham Ironmen aren't a team who they are in that championship. Yes, they could go on and win. I'm not taking anything away from them. And we always talk about being gutsy and, you know, pitchers bring it and hitters bring it, but rarely we don't feature the outfielders and he's such a generational player. So if you ever get the chance, Patty, Jerry, do a feature with Ori Cook. I'd love to hear his perspective from center field. And as a pay it forward, Jerry and Patty, I have thrown a link to the 2019 Baseball Canada National Championships in Mary Machine, New Brunswick in this show description. So to all my listeners, check it out. Now, Mike, I know that was a lot, but I'm bringing it back to you. Do you have anything to add to that? With the Ori's former senior coach when they won the Nationals that year, um, he likes he really brags on how good of Ori is. And, you know, Ori, one of the best, absolutely one of the best center fielders around. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't even feel like I'm lying or trying to make a story out of this. He absolutely is. Oh, no question. And no question. You know, he's one of the toughest outs, too, oh, the, from the, on the plate, right? Oh. He, uh, I used to play right field for the Newcastle Cardinals against Chatham all the time, and he put the bat in the ball, and he'd get on base. He'd be on third base in no time, and he'd score. A trait. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Mike, this is a show about umpiring. I want to bring it back to you. Like, was it fun in the Miramichi? So much fun. There was, you know, I like to say this, what people don't understand, but everyone that's been to a national championship or a seniors championship, sorry, know they have the home run derby. And when the beer garden sells out on the home run derby, it's going to be a good weekend. <laughs> Seriously, I had the first plate of the first morning after the after, and I look over and they're restocking the beer garden. Like I said to, uh, I think it was Mark Noel, who's the coach of the team. I said, Mark, what's going on there? He said, Oh, they ran out last night. They sold out before it was over. The home run you know, derby. This is on Wednesday. This is before games have even. That's right. Yeah. Holy juice buys. We got barely thrown out that first pitch. We're going to have a party on our hands here. Yeah, I've heard lots of guys talk about it. You know, and we say it. If um, if you ever get a chance to go to Miramichi to umpire baseball at a national championship, Chatham's going to treat you right, and they're going to have a, you're going to have a lot of fun. What does treating you right mean in the Miramichi? They're Mexico. You know, they put us in the nicest hotel. Miramichi is a small city. Let's know that they put yeah. us in the. The nicest hotel on the river. So it's not Paul's Motor Inn. It's not Paul's Motor Inn. Paid by the hour. And that's right. <laughs> no, not definitely not by the hour. The nicest hotel. They're going to make sure their volunteers are going to make sure that you're taken care of. If you, know, you got to get to a laundromat, if you got to get to food, they're going to make sure they're steering you in the right direction to get you some food. They're they're never going to steer you wrong. The, the volunteers are up there just second to none. And uh, they, they have they make sure they take care of you for sure. Yeah, and again, we want to talk about the gold medal game. I mean, you were there. I know you and I were standing side by side, you know, in the dressing room because it was the only spot in the house you could get a seat. You know, you had yep. to look over four other heads to see the ball game. You know, I bet you there was four thousand people in that park that night for the for the gold medal game. And if it could have been any bigger, you would have filled it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. There was people watching it on live stream at the park, standing in the park because they couldn't see it, see the game. So, yeah. It literally came down to I think. A capacity issue, but also a parking issue. People were parking two kilometers away, three kilometers yeah, away. Definitely one of my favorites. Now, Mike, we'd be lying if we said we never talked about national championships here on the Leading Edge. And I'm forever thankful for the volunteers in the community that give back to host these championships. Now, on top of your umpire resume, you've been on a committee and chaired a host committee. Can you share with us some of your experiences with that? Sure. Uh, I guess I've been heavily involved with four nationals, or you can call the two Peewee Atlantic Championships nationals because they're they're put on by Baseball Canada. So For sure. I helped chair two of those, and I also chaired uh, a little bit of higher level at the Baseball Canada Cups here in Moncton. 
chaired, co-chaired the one in 2011 um, and also umpired in it. And oh, then wow. in 2018, we hosted the Canada Cup again, and I was the chairman of that tournament as well. So how do you co-chair and umpire in the same championship? Man, you must have um, been busy that week. It was very busy leading up to it. Um, and then on uh, Wednesday, so that's basically move-in day, or no, Tuesday's move-in day at the Canada yep. Cup, right? Extra day. So on Tuesday, when the umpires started rolling in, and uh, it was my turn that rolled into the hotel, I shut my cell phone off so I wasn't getting phone calls from everybody else. Just became an umpire, and then from there, I didn't, really didn't worry about the happenings of the ball tournament. There was enough volunteers to take care of it. Look forward to umpiring at that, that point forward. How far in advance does the planning start for a championship? I would say at least a year. And then, you know, it could be longer. It depends how long you know ahead when you're awarded the championship. Uh, I think in 18, we knew at least early 17 that we were getting the championship. So we started planning ahead. And then, you know, from about the end of the season in 17, going into fall 17, into, you know, that's when you really start gearing up, working on sure. all your different categories that you need to look after. Because there's a pretty intensive bid process from Baseball Canada, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Um, especially now that there's always seems to be two or three at every level. At one time, Baseball Canada used to be kind of reaching out to communities to help. Baseball Canada actually started coming up with a bit of money to help the host. Okay. Each province has to kick in so many dollars. That helps cover their accommodations while they're in town. So fair. it's not all in, the ho all in the host to pay for every hotel room that's being used. Right. right. So since that process has started, Baseball Canada has actually been getting bids every year for usually, usually for championships. And then there's always some big cities that put a bid in, like we talked earlier. There's always the Windsor, Ontario's and, you know, the Gatineau's or, you know, Miramichi's always putting in usually to host, a, you know, a senior championship type of deal thing. Right. So right. You know, always the regular ones. I'm going to assume the first time you go through a bid process, it might seem daunting. And then does it get easier as you go along, you kind of save some of the records just to be know to know what you're going to do. I think back to the first time we bid on when when Baseball Canada decided to break up the PB Championship into an Atlantic and a Western, and now they absolutely have the National again. But I remember working on a committee. It was actually Andrew Higgins and I, and uh, we we put in a bid process, and it was just daunting going through, making sure you had all the X's and O's checked and everything, and you know writing your story and actually going out and measuring your field sizes and making sure you had dimensions and, you know, cap capability of hosting these events, you know, and then you just kind of save your material from one bit to the other and just kind of edit it every time and making sure you have your uh, letters, letters of support from your, your councils and your city offices and all that kind of stuff. You know, you just got to get those updated every couple of years and all that kind of stuff. And even simple things as ensuring that you have field availability and you're not competing with other championships or events. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, especially where, you know, in a city like Moncton, um, where anybody can book any field, you know, you just got to go on the, on the website and book the fields. Right. So you got to book your okay. fields in advance or at least tell council or city, city people that, you know, you're, you're looking at hosting a major event and can you please block the fields on these certain dates so no one else can book them. We always tried to work with Qantas Perk. You'd work with the senior and junior leagues and say, listen, we're hosting this event, put playing your games around it or whatever. Right. So. Right. And, I'll speak from experience here. I'm going to say 2014, 15, around that time in Regina, Saskatchewan, there's the Western Canadian Baseball League. And there was a conflict because that's their playoff time. And I know there was a news report and I'll look for the link on YouTube and you can find it in the show description. It's a real thing. You, you run a league all year and all of a sudden you have a championship and breakdown of communication. I assume that's a big deal from a hosting committee 
responsibility. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't want to have to plan at your, you know, on your Thursday night opening night, and then all of a sudden you get two junior teams showing up to the ballpark to play a game, and wait a second, now we got a conflict we have to deal with workout right and in a city like Moncton one thing you don't ever think of but I, I just from my experience of hanging around the bar at park is you know making sure you can get your noise restrictions lifted in case you have to run after 12 o'clock at night you're you know, allowed to have your lights on after midnight or stuff like that in your experience has it gone okay or is there still a little bit of hesitancy from local officials sometimes you also ask for forgiveness instead of permission too so <laughs> I, I go back to the 2011 championship where we had rain on the Wednesday night and we get close to midnight, and before we decided to shut it down, you know, if we had to continue the game, we'd have been well after midnight at Qantas Park, and you kind of know where it's at in Moncktonville, and there's lots of houses and stuff yes. around that, you know, it gets too loud. There's always people calling and complaining, right? So uh, learning from the great Tubby, uh, you know, it was always just better to ask for forgiveness sometimes and not worry about it or not bring it up if you have to. So Right, and I have to assume most times the economic revenue to the local municipalities can get you a little bit of forgiveness after the fact. As long as everything's respectable reasons. That's right. Exactly. Sometimes you just kind of look at the sound guy and say, you know, turn the volume down a couple notches, continue to yeah, play yeah. it, but yep. just turn it down. So yeah. Interesting you bring this up because in the last episode, we talked to Tyler Bourne and he talked about a crew getting off the field at like 3.30 in the morning. Talk about a great Baseball Canada national story, but stuff that the committee has to worry about. It can, you know, it can get there. that's happened twice at that championship in Gatineau Junior. <laughs> You're talking about it, and I was at it both times. The first time I was there as an official, yes. and fellow New Brunswicker, the first time we were there was on the plate, Chris Frost. Okay. And they, they, he ran a game till like, because the rain ran till 2 or 30, 3 o'clock in the morning. Jump ahead two more years, and Chris is back there, and I'm there actually as a chef to miss on with Team New Brunswick. And Chris ends up on the bases because Corey Klein was on the plate and working that game till two or 30 or three o'clock in the morning. So uh, Gatineau's got a good reputation for playing ball late. Well, that's one of those situations the tournament committee ahead of the tournament. You go tushpasa. Do, 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 yeah, absolutely. Do, 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 yeah. Or it's five o'clock summer because the beer is always on sale in Quebec. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Mike, with yeah. all your experiences at a championship as an umpire and then being on a committee and overseeing a committee, in your opinion, what are some of the areas that might get overlooked? And I ask this in case people are considering putting in a bid and things that you'd recommend that they don't forget about. You know, one big thing is I've been to enough of these championships that the umpires a lot of times are overlooked. Really? Whether it be a, a dressing room at a ballpark, you right. know. Not often I've gone to a national where there's no dressing room, but sometimes it's a washroom. Mm -hmm. So you get umpires in a washroom trying to get changed and stuff like that. Just simple water for the officials and stuff like that. You know, they always make sure there's water on the benches for the right. players, but you know, as officials, we don't like to go into benches, ask for water or stuff like that. Oh, so definitely frowned upon. Sometimes it's just officials. I, I find a lot of host committees, but the one good thing is a lot of times you'll find if there is someone there looking after the umpires, it's a fellow umpire right. who goes the extra mile to make sure that you're taken care of make sure that, you know, they're making sure you know where to go eat between games and all that kind of stuff. So sometimes just simple transportation, that can get overlooked. I just, it's always there, but length or how long you have to wait to get your ride picked up or simply where you got to go and how long, you know, between fields and all that kind of stuff. It's it's just tough sometimes. Right. And especially in the summertime, you run into construction issues. Trying yes. To, you don't even realize it's, if you live in the community, you might not even realize it because you bypass it every day. But yeah. somebody knew that GPS takes them down X Street and now they're stuck for 45 minutes and they need to be at the ball field. Yeah. 
yeah. go back to that Rob Allen story when at Canada Games, when you know we talked about it, where he got a call to go cover for someone that got injured. Yep, and he's an hour away from the ballpark. Like it's not always that easy, right? You know, you know, we're not always in Miramichi where the fields are ten minutes apart, or Moncton where the fields are ten minutes apart. A place like Sherbrooke, Quebec's hosting, and you got fields that are forty-five minutes apart. You can't really plan for that stuff. Now, sometimes officials get overlooked. Emotions are running high, and we've talked. Some officials can be a rowdy bunch. How hard is it to look after the officials during the championship week? Uh, sometimes they, they, they're always looking for the extra mile or looking for the extra thing. They're, I, I, I enjoy them because that's what I do, and I kind of go the extra mile with my guys when they're here. But, you know, we can be we can be needy sometimes and wanting the little things and making sure we're getting the baseballs in time to rub them up prior to game time and all that kind of stuff. Now, I typically like to talk positives and about learning experiences, but as a host, what would be one recommendation you would have for people to say, please don't bother us about X? Lost gear. What do you mean, lost gear? Well, shouldn't you be responsible for your own gear? Yeah, but you can't go leave it beside a car and then walk away and go back and expect it to be there in all every city. We we did have an official that uh, in Moncton last time we hosted Canada Cup where uh, after his game, he walks his gear out to the crew car and lays it down because the door was doors were locked and walked back in actually was talking to me and then and all of a sudden they left and he come back in he said mike did you see my gear did your gear okay i said no he said all that's left there is my bucket <laughs> uh, anyway so his his whole equipment bag got stolen from the ballpark this is not where his fellow umpires just moved it on him and were playing a prank well, on him. we all kind of thought that for a while we all thought Maybe the sneaky islander on the crew was hiding the gear or something like that. <laughs> was but, Bucky uh, around was ear? No. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> so anyway, we went on a search around Qantas Park and no such luck. All the only piece of equipment he had left was his helmet. We uh, started talking and this is I wanna say Thursday morning, maybe. Okay. Can't remember. Yeah, it was before opening ceremonies. So early in the tournament, essentially. So early in the tournament. So, so the must guy- have been must yeah. have been like the Wednesday morning. Yeah, it was the Wednesday morning because we had opening ceremony. Because I remember at opening ceremonies, they were piecing together a uniform for him. <laughs> so it's not even like he's done all his plate work and we can shove you onto a base somewhere. He still has the rest of the weekend to go. Yeah, yeah so luckily, I guess I'm a official supplier or equipment supplier. So I came home and I tried to find enough equipment to get him through the rest of the weekend. <laughs> Grabbed a bunch of stuff and then, uh, you good, know. Good for you. Good, yeah, good friend Jeremy Nash. He went home. He happened to be working, but he stopped into the ballpark and he went and grabbed what he could find that might fit Chris. And then, you know, the other guys on the crew, there's one guy in his crew that's almost the same size of him. So I think it was like base shoes, though. You know, you don't just find a size, yeah. whatever he was, anywhere or plate shoes. Nothing like sharing some foot fungus either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that was uh, That was early in the day. And then so we reach out to a few people. Keep an eye open for it. Jeremy goes back to work, and I get a text message about 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and he says, I think I found Frosty's gear. So what do you mean? He sends me a link on my phone. It was on <laughs> Kijiji. It was listed as um, catcher's gear or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Someone called, like, Kijiji, the phone number you would find on Kijiji or Marketplace, whatever it was. I can't remember. Right. Like, oh, call the cops. And the cops like, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Okay. So... We call a, we call in a favor from a pretty high-ranking officer up in Miramichi. It's also an umpire, and uh, so he he just gives us a few pointers of what we should do. And he said, "If you're not successful, let me know." So 
we still tried a few more things and then we weren't having much luck. And then uh, two other Miramichiers that were also on the tournament committee renamed them the Miramichi Muscle after. <laughs> uh, they both they both live in Moncton now, uh, Robert Black and Mark Stymus. Decide they're going to message this guy and see if they can buy this guy. They're interested in this gear. For sure. Okay, makes sense. So anyway, yeah, he says I have it. Robbie and Mark head over to uh, this guy's place here close to the ballpark. <laughs> And when they get there, um, they say, oh, we know you stole this and we know where you stole it from. And uh, you can gather it all up and we'll take it back to the rightful owner. Six to seven hours later, we had Chris's gear all back together. And all except for, I think he was missing maybe a couple undershirts. No, his hats. I don't think he ever got his hats back. I tell you, though, we didn't tell him that we get it back until he got there for the opening ceremonies. Oh, he we had it in the room. so form. relieved. He was, yeah. Just like Christmas morning. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to try and uh, hammer down chris to get him on the show and uh and he can elaborate some more on the story but uh it was a pretty stressful day for him i'm sure oh no question did he work yeah. a game in someone else's gear he did not know okay. i think his only game of the morning he had the plate i'm pretty sure he had the plate that morning and then so he got done his plate set his gear up by the car all of a sudden it was gone now mike hard to believe you get to a national championship and you have to give feedback to say hey look after your gear We've all heard the saying, mom's not here to look after you. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's always the stories of you hear guys when they fly to a championship, like right. their gear not going up or that that kind of stuff. The, the whole fact of having your gear, then all of a sudden it's gone and you're at a championship. At the time, Chris Frost would have been from Moncton. Yes, he was. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. got his gear kifed in his hometown. He got ripped off from someone. Yeah, you have to yeah. think, how many times did he do that then, if that's his home park kind of thing? That was just his habit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I probably wouldn't do it after dark <laughs> at Qantas Park, but in the daytime, you know, yeah. you'd think, why not, right? Right. Lots of people around. You're in the middle of a championship. Yeah. yeah, and I'm always about joke fines, and I really think that would be a huge fine at a championship. Absolutely. He owes a few adult yeah. beverages to a few people, I think. I would say, yes, he he, he did. He, he was very relieved to have his own shirt and pants to put on for the opening ceremonies. I can only imagine his relief. Mike, let's shift gears here. Now, we've talked a little bit about umpiring, and we've talked about chairing a tournament. One of the other things that you have on your resume is you are the past president of the Moncton Minor Baseball Association. Now, as umpires, we're used to game management. But, Mike, how did you get into the role of, you could say, organizational management? So, I'll go back to my playing days. Um, okay. I, I finished playing when I was... Oh, what's midget end at? 18? 18, 18, 18, 18, I guess. Yeah, Junior. When I was playing midget house league baseball, I was also a student for Moncton Rider Baseball, okay. summer student. So my job then was basically I was allowed to play ball two nights a week, and I umpired every other night. Okay. And I worked at younger levels of house league baseball, and I did all that kind of stuff. And if there was tournaments, I was involved with tournaments, all that kind of stuff. If anybody knows the late, great Paul Tubby Melanson, when he hits someone that wants to help out, he doesn't let him go. Finished my playing days. I was still, the next summer, I think I was still hired as a student. Tubby says, Mike, uh, he says, I need help. This double A team. We're going to try and run a full season of double A this year out of what the Miramichi used to have a double A league. He's like, I need help running the tryouts. He said, do you want to come out? He says, yeah. Well, then before you know it, Mike was the head coach of this, this said double A team. So I did that for a season. And then, so after I was a coach, I was kind of involved with minor ball a little bit more than just a student. I went to an AGM. Another friend of mine nominated Mike for the board. So I'm 18 years old or 19 years old at the time, and I'm now put on the board of Moncton Under Baseball. So I was a board member for years. 
years and years, went to all the meetings, helped out. Uh, my coaching career only lasted two years. I sold literally, I sold my umpire gear one year and I bought it all back from the same guy the year after. Yeah, you were ready so, to drop it, were you? I was. I thought I was going to go to the dark side. That didn't last long. Good for you. Thanks for coming back. Yeah. I coached this team. I can't remember. It might have been three seasons anyway. And after that, I just stayed involved with minor ball, helped out where I could, running tournaments, you know, organizing stuff. As everyone knows, everyone that talked to me would tell me, you know, Mike Tubby's just grooming you to take over when he goes. Unfortunately, we lost Tubby kind of suddenly. So when he passed, I just kind of, I was a VP at the time, but I just took over the role and I did it for four or five seasons. Yeah, I was president, but I had a board that was working under me. And I did a lot of the yes, no, yeah, go ahead and do that. Yeah, don't do that. You know, I didn't have time to be at the ball field every night because okay. I was umpiring. And they all knew that I I'd said, I don't mind running. You guys know that umpire is my first love and that's that's where I go, right? So um, my VPs were really good. And, she, you know, Gary Huber did a lot of work and we're all still involved. And then after four years, I decided, you know, it was time to give somebody else a, a chance at it. So, you know, we passed the torch on and actually a former Miramichir is now our president, Moncton Minor Baseball, Mark Stimus. So oh, interesting. So, and I still stay involved. I'm still a board member. I, I take care of mostly me and Gary take care of the canteens type of thing around the, at our parks. And I do that. And I get to be at the uh, Baseball New Brunswick board because my position as the umpire's president puts me on the executive for Baseball New Brunswick. So, yeah. Now, Mike, for our listeners' perspective, share with us the landscape of New Brunswick. Is the Moncton Minor Baseball Association, it's the biggest in the province? Is it one of the biggest? Second biggest. Fredericton um, first or St. Fredericton would be the biggest, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so Moncton entails about 500 players on, on an average year okay. from age... Uh, five, they will come at four to 15. Okay. Back when I back when I first started with Moncton Minor Baseball, we actually used to only be 16 and up. We were a midget and junior association. I can't remember exactly what year we actually merged the two associations. The from So we went under all one umbrella. And then back before Tubby passed away, we actually, the midget and junior for Moncton DF and Riverview all merged as one. And they're now an association on their own. Oh, okay. So Metro. Yeah. So Moncton Minor now encompasses just from Rally Cap to 15U. And then Riverview and Dieppe still have their own organizations? Yes, exactly. At that, at that to that point. So, and then actually now, in the past few years, we've got some of the, like, the Shidiac area has an association now. So the north of Moncton, Notre Dame, Bucktish area have an association. Of course, Salisbury has one, Petty Kodiak. So, yeah, you know, it's, you know, we got 500 just in the Moncton area, which, uh, which is a pretty good, pretty good size association. It's all about growth and prosperity of the game. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. good to see that the game is growing in the area. Now, without volunteers like yourself, organizations like this wouldn't no, function. for sure. Not at all. So a big thank you to all the volunteers that go out to see our minor baseball association succeed. Now, Mike, we often hear about life skills and officiating. Do you think that officiating and being official helped you in the role as a president? Being an official just helped me with just kind of being a leader. When you go in the field, you're kind of a leading, try to lead. You know, I, I tried to be a leader, whereas, you know, meetings and, Definitely take everybody's opinions in and all the stuff and kind of, I don't want to say dictate, but uh, it was easier for me to say, you know, you should take care of this. Or you should take care of this type of thing, right? Communication is big. And I guess that's what I'm pretty good at is communicating. So that's what I kind of like to thrive on. Now, Mike, we often tell officials to get into officiating because you develop life skills. Absolutely. Yeah, we talk about just being able to teach at clinics and as our whole clinician program in, the, in Canada just all that stuff just helps you with life skills. And those are some of the biggest life skills I learned. And, you know, just with my job today and 
learning that through umpiring has helped me in my professional career as well. I completely agree, Mike. And being part of the Baseball Canada National Umpire Program, I have learned a lot about Baseball Canada and a lot of the resources that they have developed and they put out that help me both in my personal and professional life, both on and off the field. And they're transferable life skills. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's changed so much over the years since, you know, I've been a, a VP here in the province and became provincial supervisor. Just the whole changes from, you know, before it was kind of run where, you know, every province had a little bit of a vote. Now we really don't get a vote where they have the portfolios and they kind of just, they do all the work. Yeah, they ask us our opinions and we give our input. They they come down with the mandates and the structure, which is, which is great. It's working well. Mike, let's transition. Apart from being an umpire, volunteer, president, jack of all trades, master of none, you're also a small business owner. Yes, yes. Now, a little bit of a small business owner. Share with our listeners, what is your small business? Uh, Atlantic Baseball Official Supplies is the official name of it. Uh, I go Atlantic Official Supplies is what I like to. I tried to get my name to be, but uh, they needed something more specific when I went for a name, so I had to throw baseball in there. So oh, interesting. So uh, you know, I, I try right now. I'm a two sport kind of guy, but so baseball is my number one sport that I provide. Mike, what are the kind of products that your business supplies? So I provide officials gear to uh, baseball umpires and basketball referees. Now, Mike, I've pitched it here a couple times, but what is your website? AtlanticOfficials.ca is my is my website. I have actually worked on it a lot in the last couple of weeks, so it's looking yes. better and better now. Looks good. And you know, I got to say, uh, thanks to a couple of uh, provinces in Canada that's taking me on as their official supplier. So Nova Scotia Umpire Association is taking me on, of course, New Brunswick, and uh, just this year, Manitoba Baseball Umpire Association has taken me on as their official supplier. So uh, it's been great, and uh, I really love doing it. Mike, got to throw a big kudos to you and the Baseball Manitoba Umpires Association. I like the idea, but you have something called Starter Pack. Share with us what that is. So, yeah. So, I mean, if you're a brand new umpire and, you know, you you want to get, you can come and get completely decked out. I can sell you a, a package with your pants and your hat and your shirt and even a little ball bag kit to go with it. And then on the gear side, I, got, I have some gear packages that we put together and, you know, we can do it that way as well. So... Uh, I basically carry everything you need to walk out in the game one and you're ready to umpire. So awesome. Yeah. Now, Mike, you and I have had a customer business relationship for many of years. I can remember meeting you in the Moncton Coliseum parking lot where you were peddling gear out of the back of your truck, van, whatever. It was, you know, kind of sketchy, but share with us. How did you get into this? Yeah. <laughs> so I go back to 2007 nationals in Quebec City. Prior to, so I'll go step back a little bit further. Prior to that, Andy Callahan from Nova Scotia, he was a provincial supervisor. Okay. I was the VP here in New Brunswick at the time, but we were trying to get a supplier to supply us with gears because uh, Phil, you probably remember HSRS out of Nova Scotia. Yes. They used to they used to kind of do a little bit of shirt supply and pants supply, but there was really nobody here in Atlantic Canada. Andy or yeah, Andy and I had talked and we talked with a few different people around, but no one. Because the market is so little, no one wants to stock anything. It was always as per order. Fast forward to 2007, I um, end up at the Midget Nationals in Quebec City, and I end up meeting Jerry Tricascus. Okay. He owned and still owns uh, Pro Image out of Delta, BC. Okay. So him and I got chatting, and I told him what I was looking for, and he, him and I come to a deal where I was his Atlantic rep, per right. se. Okay. That was 2007 till 2018. I stocked stuff here for him and I sold stuff 
Uh, and in that time, I worked out a deal with Baseball Nova Scotia and Baseball New Brunswick, where I became their supplier. And then in 2019, Jerry said he wanted to downsize. And it was a lot of work for him to keep me stocked with everything here. So he offered me the rights to the Atlantic. So I bought my current inventory and I started Atlantic Baseball Official Supplies. Now, Mike, when we look back at 2007, this is pre-internet, the start of the internet time. You couldn't just log on the internet and go click, click, boom, ship gone. I got my umpire gear. Don't worry about it. It was hard. No, it was really hard. Like uh, we had one of the biggest sports stores, locally owned guy here in, in Moncton, the Maritime Sports yep. and Mike Myers. And yeah, I, that's where my first chest protector come from and probably my first pair of plate shoes. But he had one on the shelf. That was it. The Rollins you know, ribbed one with the little cups. Absolutely. You know, and my plate shoes would look like a work boot with a removable toe cap or a removable instep Those cap, dress right? shoes, yeah, yeah. You know, I guess I graduated till we finally plus paws come online. And, uh, you know, my second pair of plate shoes was a pair of plus paws shoes. Yeah. You had to order them out of the States. It took a month to get them. And you didn't know what you were getting. You didn't know sizes. Nobody else had them. Not like You had Honings, who was still pretty, I guess, they were okay to deal with, you know. Yeah. You know, you know, they were great guys when they were, you know, in full swing. But, you know, it's, let's face it, it's a business where it's not profitable to carry a whole lot of inventory if it's only one time a year type of thing for baseball and pre-internet, unless you're big somewhere, to carry that. And, you know, I talked to Mike Myers about it. He said, Mike, he said, there's just not enough market for me to carry any amount of stuff here. He said, I'd love to help you out, but he said, there's just no market. And it's stuff that you buy once and you might not buy for 15, 20 years. Yes, exactly. You know, there's there's only so many, uh, I'll call it, um, gear gurus where uh, I could sell them a chest protector every couple of years, a new pair of shin pads, and yeah, I'm one of those guys. Yep. You know. Guilty. uh, Yeah. You know, I have a few of them around, but, you know, there's also some guys on the other end where they're still using that pair of plus plus shoes they bought the same time as I bought mine. Those nubs on the bottom of the shoes are long gone. Absolutely, right? You know, so... And he does 100-plus games a year. Yep. Right, so... Since we're talking shoes, I can remember the biggest change to umpire shoes that came out a while back was the Reebok plate shoes. Those things were fantastic. Oh, yeah. I I remember remember you being so in love with them. If I could get a pair today, I'd go back to them. I would, too. I can still remember getting ready for my first game in those. They were the bomb. It goes back to a time when everyone else was wearing dress shoes and boots and... These were sneakers, and I think you got them first. I look at the evolution of the shoe, you know, just from even the first New Balance shoe was so heavy to what you have now. I'm back to the point of getting some inventories hard. Just coming across the American line is just, it's it's really difficult. Is this a supply chain thing, or is it that companies are creating barriers for you as a small independent? They don't want to sell me five pairs of shoes a year. They want to sell me, just think about how many shoes, you know, I, I support because I buy from the umpire would stock, right? Yeah. You know, we all have been on their website as an umpire. You know, they, they stock thousands of pairs. So I, I've talked to Jim about it. I, I've emailed Jim Kirk from umpire. He's like, Mike, he said, I'm just not allowed to sell you at a price that I can get at because New Balance doesn't want me to. Well, it's not really fair. And I remember a couple of years ago, umpire making a post on their blog stating, that they had to sell New Balance shoes at a minimum advertised price, or in the big corporate world, a map price. And as a consumer, it's really frustrating. Yeah, it, it doesn't is. Prom- it doesn't promote independent businesses. I'll tell anybody in Canada, I still order from Mike as much as I can. Like I said, he says he can get almost anything for you. And when you start dealing with these American competitors, they might seem like a great deal, but wait till you get your duties and wait till you get the price of shipping. I went to order the 2019 minor league baseball rule interpretations manual 
and it cost $19.99. Then to add shipping, it was another $44.99 American. I even tried to get their minimum ship requirement and still didn't cut the price down at all. A $20 book went to about $130. And the other thing us Canadian umpires have to worry about is the international exchange, and that's just going to hit you again for another 27 to 30%. I'm making no money to say this, everybody. If you're looking for gear, get a hold of Mike. AtlanticOfficials.ca, he's not going to rip you off. You're going to get a price that's going to be as accurate, if not better, than competitors from the United States. Exactly right. I, I got an order last night from a guy. I explained it to him. I said, you know, you the price you've seen on the site, it's there, but you're going to pay duty. And I told him, I said, these are the duty costs, and this is what it charge you. And, you know, at the end of the day, there wasn't a whole lot of price difference. I've done it time and time again. I've calculated it out. There is not much of a price difference, if any. All I can say is keep your money local, keep your money in Canada, support the people that will support you. Because in reality, it really is guys like Mike that are going to support your local organizations and help you out where you can. Look at we've talked all episode about all the giving back he does. He's not in it to make a ton of money. As Canadian umpires, let's try to stick together. We can do it. Appreciate the business, guys. I really enjoy doing it. Uh, um, customer support first. Uh, give me a call. I'll do what I can to get you what you need for sure. Speaking of customer support first, I'm looking forward to that new Wilson chest protector coming out. Yes. Now you and I have talked about it the past couple of weeks, but share with us what you know about it. And do you have any on order? I have, t- I have uh, someone ordered. There's two different styles coming. One is a, is a low profile from what I read. So it, it's supposed to be the next version of the West Vest Platinum and the West Vest Gold. And to be honest with you guys, if you guys really love the West Vest Platinum or West Vest Gold, reach out. I've got a couple left in stock, but they're not selling them anymore. If the Wilson suppliers are out, that's it. They're going to these new Evolution ones. Just for the record, the ones you have in stock are the old ones. Yes, the old ones. And hopefully by the end of April, I will have some of the new ones in stock. They're, they are in order. All those platinum lovers, if you're looking to stay in the platinum, I'd get a hold of Mike. Like you said, he has a few in stock. Okay, Mike, it's game time. Fan favorite part of the show is called 10 Questions. I'm going to hit you with 10 questions. If I like your answer, and if we disagree with it, it's not overtly difficult. Are you ready to play along? We're all good. Okay. I'm ready. What was the best TV show of the 90s? Friends. No, no, no. I'm thinking Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. Not Wasn't a huge Seinfeld fan. Wow. Considering Costanza worked for Steinbrenner and the Yankees? Really? Yeah, I know. But it was it was funny. Someone made a reference the other day. I'm like, really? What are you talking about? I'm like, can you remember the reference that was made? Really? Really? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. But let's go back and back and back. What was your favorite album in high school? I knew you were going to ask me a music question. Oh, you got to talk music and movies here. That's I love some, probably like the early hip in high school. You like that alternative stuff, that Canadian alternative? Yeah, I'm a huge hip fan, but I know your love for country, and I'm also a very huge Gareth Brooks. Love it. You're a smart guy, Mike. Cashing in on the Gareth Brooks love for bonus points later in the 10 questions round. Smart man. This was a mail-in question. How much does a game-used MLB umpire jersey go for at auction? No comment. (laughs) Does it get a little more expensive after the adult beverages are involved or what? It does. It does. really does, yeah. Okay, share with us. You have a game-used umpire jersey? Yeah, our great Canadian buddy, Stu Shearwaters. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I also have one of his his Mother's Day hat as well. Okay, Mike, we talked about you having a nice little event at David Buckingham's after a national championship. You're having the crew over. You're having a barbecue, smoker, whatever it is. What is your choice? What are you serving? We're going to put some sausages and some some, uh, nice juicy hamburgers. 
but you can't leave out a little bit of seafood somehow. Doesn't matter what the seafood is, but Davey loves her. So your spread, sausages, burgers, and seafood. Can't go wrong. Yeah. Can't go wrong. It always eliminates some of those shellfish allergy guys, but meh. More, more, more lobster for it. everybody else. That's right. Okay, <laughs> next question. Local favorites. Is it a Boston pizza or the sports rock? Oh, it became Boston pizza in the last year since when Stephen Clark moved to Moncton. Oh, come on, Moncton, Sports Rock. I love Sports Rock. Best swings in town. No question. Huge supporter. The dealio in the last couple of years is Sports Rock doesn't seem to be open as late. Really? It's not as convenient to get there from the Qantas Park. So That used to be the place to go. I mean, they used to be open. They were open there. 24-7 That's... at one time. They went in the app. But they cut, of course, during COVID, they cut the hours. Of course. And then yep. we were allowed in last year. Sport, uh, Boston Pizza was the only one that, of course, opened those over 1, 2 o'clock normal in the morning, so. Well, that's fair enough. Every town with over 5,000 people has a Boston pizza, so it's consistent. That's right. But So I just have to ask, you did not not go to Sports Rock because it had a height requirement or anything for Stephen, eh? Correct. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So there's no <laughs> no height requirement. So, okay, Steve, you're allowed to go to Sports Rock. Let's get out of this topic before I get myself in trouble. Okay, a crew comes in for a national championship. We want to talk about local gems, tourist attractions. Where is somewhere you're going to recommend that they come and see or visit while they're in the greater Moncton area? Uh, usually Magnetic Hill, the, 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 the big magnet. I could tell some stories. Jimmy McMillan, if you ever listen, and a few others. Oh, one, a Saskatchewan boy, Rick, Rick Haley. Yes. He would remember it. Uh, a few things they did when I brought them up there as a, <laughs> as a tour guide. Okay. Definitely like the Pump House Brewery. Yes. You know, that's for food. That's one of the one of the nice go-tos. Right in downtown Moncton. Right in downtown Moncton. And then the Rocks. You know, last time, both championships, I've sent guys out to the Rocks and brought guys out to the Rocks. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, um, and when know. we say the Rocks, we don't mean Sport Rock. We mean the Bay of Fundy. The Bay of Fundy, yeah. See the ocean's floor. Now, question seven. You've gone to Quebec multiple times for national championships. <laughs> Is the only reason why you want to go there because you can get cheap beer? Absolutely. <laughs> Sounds like Quebec's the place to go for cheap beer. It is, yes. It is. I could send you a picture of the last time we were there if you'd like. <laughs> it's just for display purposes. That's right. Yeah. Just displays. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm making a joke about display purposes only, but check a link in our show description because the New Brunswick provincial government has taken citizens to court in regards to buying <laughs> beer in Quebec. So... We're not admitting to any crimes Absolutely. here. And in true cops form, all suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court Correct. of law. Okay, Mike, you're a mechanic by trade. You're around vehicles all day. What was your first vehicle? Uh, Chevy Firefly, three-cylinder. Your bicycle had more power. Absolutely. What color was it? It was blue. Chick magnet? Four-door. Yeah, always had a spare pl spark plug in the dash because when you bought spark plugs, you bought four. So you always had a spare one. What a deal. What a yeah, deal. absolutely. Now, what was your favorite car? Probably one of my last three, uh, Chevy Silverado trucks. My last three vehicles were all trucks. So so you're a big Chevy fan, yeah. are you? I am. I'm a big truck fan. Makes sense. Yeah. Nice, comfortable ride. And price of gas now, not going to be too good for it. No, no, not great. Not great, but. What is your dream car then? Uh, honestly, top of the line, high country Chevy truck. Yeah. yeah. I like. The High Country Edition, you don't like the you don't like the Denali version. That's a GMC, isn't it? 
Well, they're uh, yeah, they're just to me. It's one or the other, right? They're the same truck. Just one's gonna one's named Denali, one's named a, a High Country. Now, if you got Darren Scott on the line and talk to Darren, he'd tell you that it, down to the last little detail, the difference. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Darren's oh, yeah. a big truck. He is a big truck guy. Yeah, I yeah. guess takes enough of them apart at the border that he, you know. <laughs> That's right. He knows where the gems are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question 10. Okay, Mike, question 10. It's a geography question. Roughly how far is it from Halifax to Miramichi for a Canada Cup preseason tournament? In kilometers, you mean, or you want hours? Hours, time, kilometers. An hour and a half. Four and a half hours? If you're from Halifax, though, how far would it be if you go through Fredericton? Oh, God. Six and a half, seven hours. <laughs> so if mileage is paid, you always take the long way around, right? Absolutely, you do, yeah. Don't have to worry about it. It's great. Mike, do me a favor and share with us the Halifax to Miramichi story. Well, we used to have uh, Canada Cup pre-championship tournaments, and we always brought in some uh, Nova Scotia umpires. <laughs> so uh, for anybody that doesn't know, when, you get, when you're coming from Halifax to New Brunswick, you got to go buy Shidiac. There's actually two exits you can take to get to Miramichi, Shidiac or Magnetic Hill. Um, Ricky Viner is the other fellow's name, and Dennis Crotty drove by both signs, <laughs> drove all the way to Fredericton, made a detour to Fredericton, took the two-and-a-half-hour drive from Fredericton to Miramichi, and ended up where they were supposed to be. Uh, so, I love those two guys, both comical, both they're both characters. Both characters, both great guys, yes. Both they very good they guys. wouldn't be mad of us sharing that story here, that's for sure. Absolutely not. I feel bad for them because that trip from Moncton to Fredericton is great. Double lane, Trans-Canada. Then you got to yeah, absolutely swing yeah. up there at Aramokdo and you get all single lane from Fredericton to Miramichi. Yeah. yeah. There's only one guy knows I, that I know that knows that road better than anybody else, and that's Brian Cummings. He can do it in about, at about a buck 40 oh. in about an hour and a half. Oh, wow. That is a, that's a tough road. When you talk about the effort that people go in certain areas to – achieve their dream, whether it be umpire or play that, that trip from Fredericton to Miramichi is it's white knuckled sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Put a little, yeah. ra- put a little rain on the road and it should get slick. Yeah. I've only ever done the, that road once. Really? And that was, a, yeah. I did the tour one day. I seen your playoffs a couple years ago. I drove, went to Miramichi for a game and then swung over to Fredericton for a game in the evening. We were an umpire, but I was, I watched yeah. both games. Yeah. That's a learning experience. Absolutely. Time to move on to the next segment of the show. We call this Local Legends. Mike, it's where the guest shares with us someone that's giving back to their community in baseball and various aspects anyway. Mike, share with us who your local legend is. I'd be ashamed of myself if I couldn't do it with a, a very good friend of ours and a uh, local umpire who's been at it 50-plus years and Craig Hope. He's the type of guy that when I was assigning and I needed a, I needed a game field that didn't matter if it was a Mosquito House League game or the senior game, you called Craig and he was available, he would go help you out. There was never, never ask you, why am I getting this assignment? Why that assignment? It was, if you need it, then Mike, I'll go do it for you. Everybody in New Brunswick, everybody in the Maritimes knows, knows who Craig Hope is and <laughs> definitely a local legend. Yes. I'm a member of the New Brunswick Baseball Hall of Fame and, uh, you know, just, just an all around, all around good guy. Does it for the right reasons for sure. No question, Craig's been a milestone in baseball in New Brunswick for many years. Now, we've talked about the Riverview Tournament somehow, and we talked about gear. Mike, share with us a little bit of Craig Hope nuances about gear. So, yeah, so we all love to wear gear except for Craig Hope. Craig will go umpire Mosquito AAA baseball all weekend long, 
with a pair of shin pads on and a mask. <laughs> and that's know. it. Just a little bit of backstory on that. My very first ban on AAA game on yes. the plate, I was over to work a game, with a double hitter with Craig. And I get over there and Craig says to me, Mike, you must as well do the second plate. I said, all right. He says, use my gear. So I go digging in his bag for his chest protector. And he didn't have one. He said, oh, no, you don't, do, you don't need that. I go back the years. He used to do up to midget baseball without a chest protector. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. He'll, he definitely goes and works that Mosquito Donahoe tournament that we talked about. Whole weekend, no chest protector. He is a legend. He is, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, you know, and the, the kids love him. Um, yeah. He's got the loudest strike call in the Maritimes for sure. No, no question. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's very well liked. Uh, I could call him tomorrow, tell him we're having a tournament. I need a volunteer to take tickets at the door. He'll be there. He's one of those guys. I mean, I missed to say if I didn't, I didn't mention Craig because he's definitely the local legend of the umpire scene here. No question. And one of my favorite things with Craig too, is he always shows up and it's a little convertible. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've driven across the province with him and his convertible and two sets of umpire gear and they are all comfortable. <laughs> yeah. The old Pontiac Solstice, I think it is. Yellow, it is, isn't it? That's exactly what it is, yeah. Oh, yeah. Without guys like Craig Hope, local legends, you know, we wouldn't be where we are today. So, Craig, thanks for giving back to baseball in various ways over the years. Appreciate it. Well, Mike, essentially that wraps up this episode of Leading Edge. I'd like to thank you for taking the time and coming on and sharing us with your stories. Before we go, one of the things we like to do is give the guests the opportunity to share with us what we call wise words of wisdom for young and aspiring umpires. So before we go, Mike Doucette, what are your wise words of wisdom? One thing I always say to our clinics, Phil, is if you guys like to travel or have aspirations to travel across the country, especially Canada, and you really love baseball, you know, I've pretty much traveled coast to coast on somebody else's dime. Yeah, I put a lot of work in. We all have put a lot of work in. But um, to get to travel to Victoria one year and St. John's Newfoundland another year and not have to worry about the cost of a flight, you know, if you really love baseball and like to travel, it's a great way to get two things put, put in and have a lot of fun. Well, that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on future episodes where we bring on past Olympian and professional umpires, young and aspiring umpires, and umpires and supervisors heading to the various 2022 Baseball Canada National Championships. Now, for all our loyal listeners, if you have a guest recommendation or suggestion and would like us to follow up with them, hit us up on our Facebook or our Podbean account and we'll do our best to make it happen. Now, before you go, we would like to leave you with this. There's a common rule myth that people believe on a force out or an appeal, the fielder must tag the base with their foot. Personally, I don't care what part of your body you use. I just recommend you don't use your teeth. Take care, everybody, and stay safe. Stay safe.